so glad that you're here because today we're starting a brand new series called Timeless. We're looking at some of those past stories in the Old Testament in the scriptures that can impact our present and help us to tell better stories. Today, you're in for a treat. One of my great friends is gonna be sharing with you. She is our youth and young adults pastor here at Active Church. Active Church, would you welcome Jessica Franco? I like to call him by his Instagram name, so you have permission to do that as well when you see him. It's Mighty Mike Wins, just in case you didn't know. Um, my name is Jess, and I serve on the team here at Active. Can I just take a second? Like, it's really hot, huh? It's really hot outside. But can we also celebrate the fact that it's finally carne asada season? We can grill up some carne with some green onions. It's a good time. If you're doing that this weekend, let me know. I will gladly be there. Um, before we hop into today's message, I can't tell you how excited I am um, when Mike had told us the idea of this series because I love stories. I love storytelling. Telling. I love listening to stories. I remember being a little girl and my dad would have the same Dr. Seuss book, okay? Every single night, it was the same book about the fish, you know, the red fish, blue fish, you know that? But listen, this story would change every single night because my dad is probably one of the most creative and best storytellers I know. And so because of that, I've always loved listening to stories. So over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing from my friends and your friends about some stories in the Old Testament. And I can't tell you, as I was preparing this message, I didn't really grasp the full understanding of how much this story would rock my world. And so I'm really excited to walk through that with you today. Um, but before we do that, let's pray, and then we're going to hop right into this thing. Jesus, thank you so much for today, God. Lord, I'm, I'm not sure what many of us came in here carrying, God. But God, I know that you're good. And that in this moment, Father, we can, we can release the weight. We can release the pressures. We can release the thoughts, God. And, and I ask, God, that you would help us focus in in this moment, Lord. God, I pray that you would allow us space to just breathe. That you would allow us space, God, to receive, Lord, the hope that is your story. And so, God, as we walk through this message today, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, and prepare our lives, God, to say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, I'm going to kick this thing off with a question, okay? And I want you to keep this question in your mind because we're going to be referencing back and forth to this thing, okay? It's, it's going to get deep real fast, all right? Have it, has it ever felt in your life, in your story, that the story that God has for your life just feels really inconvenient? Listen, growing up as a kid, I was really, really shy. Like, really, really shy, okay? I thought I had this superpower where if I just covered my eyes, I would immediately become invisible, right? And so when that superpower was activated and I would cover my eyes, then I had the confidence and the courage to talk to people. And so my parents, you know, would have friends over for dinner and, and they would be talking to me and I, I, would not, I would not respond because I was terrified to respond. But they would just say, hey, Jess, cover your eyes. And so I would cover my eyes and then I would be able to to respond. 
And this carried on for years and years and years. It, it was so bad that I remember a time in elementary school where I broke my pencil. And the thought of having to raise my hand and ask the teacher if I could sharpen my pencil, then to have to get up and sharpen my pencil in front of the class was not going to be an option for me. So I sat at my table and I peeled back pencil shavings so that I could do my work. Don't feel bad for me, okay? Don't feel sorry at all. It was so bad that when I did begin to talk, let's say like middle school, around middle school time, you know, that awkward phase of life, I talked so fast, like so fast because I just wanted to get through the conversation. I'm really trying to paint a picture here for you. I do not, do not like being in front of people. I know it's weird. I'm on a stage with a microphone. It's weird. I get it. I know. Back to that question. Inconvenient. Okay. Um, it, it was to the point where I would even um, begin to mouth my words before I would say a sentence because I really didn't want to mess up that sentence because how embarrassing, right? If you stumble over your words. And so I would mouth out words before I would talk to you and then I would then physically say the words to you. This was not a game to me, okay? I was shy and still to this day, really, really, really shy. So back to my question. Has it ever felt like the story that God has for your life feel almost inconvenient for you? If you were to tell, cover your eyes, invisible Jess, that she would be on a stage in front of people on a weekly basis, and that was what she was called to do for the rest of her life, it would be a joke. You would be the funniest person I knew. It wouldn't have any substance for me. It would be someone else's job. Someone else can do it, but God, I know that's not me. But I've learned is that anyone Anyone that God used to face, uh, anyone that God used in the stories of the Bible, they face the fear of, I just don't think this is something that I personally can do. As I look through the scriptures, I look through a few people and I, I think about a man named Moses who led the Jews to the promised land. Esther, who becomes queen and risks her life for her people. Joshua, who led his men to see the walls of Jericho fall. I really don't believe that any of these people thought that they would be the one. That they had what it took to be a part of that story. That they were born for such a time as that moment. I learned that the thing that God might be calling you to do, it may cause discomfort. It might feel inconvenient and it might feel difficult. If you can get really close to me right now, you'd see I'm starting to sweat a little bit. I'm shaking a little bit because I'm telling you, I'm still, still a shy kid and God, it's still a joke to me that this is what you've called me to do. I think about how all of us, have these things that we're called to do. How you have purpose. And if you think I'm not talking about you, I actually am talking about you. That you have purpose. That you have gifts and talents and abilities that were uniquely designed specifically for you. And a call on your life that you get the opportunity to answer. And so today we are going to dive into a story about a man named Gideon. 
We can find his story in the Old Testaments of the Bible, old books of the Bible, in the book of Judges, some of the first few chapters that were written, okay? And so I want to help you kind of paint the scene of what's going on here. So God at this moment sends an angel to call on Gideon. So we're going to hop into uh, chapter 6, verse 11. If you have the Bible with you or maybe on your phone, you can read along. If not, I got you covered. It is on the screen right behind me. It says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Ebazer. Listen, if I'm confident with these names, you won't know I'm saying them wrong. (laughs) Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. What are we reading? What is happening? Why are you reading this, Jess? What's going on? Let Let me help you out here. Let me tell you what's happening here. During this time, Israel had been taken over by a group of people called the Midianites. Okay, huge, huge million-man army. They, Israel didn't have a leader for a really long time, and what was happening here was that they decided to stop following God. And so they were taken over by these people. They stopped obeying God. They, stopped, they were now hiding from the Midianites. The Midianites were taking their food, taking their water, and ultimately their goal was to completely deplete Israel of all of their resource, everything that they had. And so now we find Gideon here in this moment, and he was hiding. He was hiding from them, and he was hiding the food that he did have because he knew if they found him, that they would take it from him. And so in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and and he said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. See, if, if you didn't know the rest of the story, you would look at this and be like, oh, like that sounds nice, right? Like God's like flexing on him a little bit, right? Like mighty hero, right? Like, oh yeah, he's, he's so qualified, which is why the angel's telling him this. He's the one who's called, right? And if you were watching this in a Toy Story version, it'd be like the claw, the little aliens have the claw over Gideon and they're saying like, he's the chosen one, right? If you're reading this without knowing the rest of the story, you would think like this is God's flex moment on Gideon. Back to the real story. <laughs> Gideon's actually shocked to hear this. He's confused. And honestly, he's trying to find the person that they're actually talking about. Mighty man of who? You're talking to me, Gideon, the one who's hiding right now? You see, Gideon, he was a part of a really small tribe that was then a part of another really small tribe. So he didn't see himself as anything special or great let alone a a hero, right? Which is why he becomes so dismissive when God invites him to lead. And as I read through this story, I really begin to think about like, did God see what was happening with Gideon? Like, did God see what was going around? Did God see that he was calling on someone who was in hiding? Did he see that there were other people who were a lot stronger, who were probably more capable, more skilled to do whatever it is that God was calling Gideon to do? It's almost as if God completely dismisses every piece of environment that's around Gideon and sees something within him that Gideon nor the readers see. So Gideon gets a little upset a little frustrated, and he responds in verse 13. It says, Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. As I read this, I, I kind of feel like his feelings 
are validated, right? Like here's Gideon trying to make sense of hope that was thrown into his lap in an environment where that just doesn't fit the narrative. How was this good news, right? Like God is with us, but look, I'm in hiding. Yeah, God is with me, mighty hero, but God, I'm hiding food because if they find me, they'll take it from me. It was an audible promise that God was still with Gideon, but it didn't make sense to him. So it stirred some tension within him. Look around, God, where are you? I'm hiding. My people, we have nothing. At this point, Gideon's playing a game that some of us are pretty familiar with. The blame game. He's, frust- he's frustrated. He has unmet expectations. And is disappointed by his surroundings. He's discouraged by his environment. And he's looking for someone to blame. And so he starts to blame God. Maybe I'm not the only one on the boat who can agree that the blame game really in some way becomes a reflex when you just, when you just don't know what to do. When it's hard to make sense of good or bad entering in the arena. When you're trying to find practical ways and causes to describe or to figure out why you are where you are and how you ended up where you are. It can easily become a distraction to the real, real issue. Uh, Being recently married for now a little over half a year, we're almost at eight months, uh, which is pretty crazy. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm in my complete wifey era, so I love it. (laughs) But being recently married, we are in that phase of of marriage where we're still trying to figure each other out, right? We're still trying to figure out how to communicate, how to, um, you know, just get our point across in a healthy way, um, how to, when to react, when not to react. And so personally, I know it's a simple fix, right? Like I'm right. And discussion, right? Just kidding. Just kidding. It's a joke. I can only say that. He's not in here. He's teaching kids, so don't tell him I said that. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Listen, though, when we first got married, we um, had to merge our lives together, right? So um, at, the, at the time, Isaac had his own apartment already, and so we decided financially that's probably the best decision, right? Stick, stick to that apartment, no moving fees anywhere else, right? And so after the wedding, went straight to our honeymoon, and now we're in the bliss of it all, okay? We're, we're bringing in my boxes, we're, we're putting the clothes in the, in the uh, closet, and we're rearranging, you guys remember that time, right? Rearranging the bathroom, putting things in together, and it's fun, right? Like, it feels like an episode of, like, a Hallmark movie or something. Like, this is the best time. You have, like, music playing in the background. It's a great time, right? So then I get to the kitchen, And listen, I've never lived on my own before this. And so this is the first time where this is now my kitchen, my living room, my my bedroom. Like all of this is now ours together, right? And so I'm in there like being a little nice wife. And I'm like putting things here, moving things here. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to cook here. So the spice needs to be here, here, here. Well, I didn't know about this thing in my home called the snack cabinet. I didn't know about this snack cabinet, okay? So here I am, innocently, innocently, almost angelic-like, you know, moving things around and just placing stuff here and there. I have like birds on my shoulder chirping, you know, it's like a Snow White moment. Little did I know, I was single-handedly destroying every hope and dream that my poor husband had because I moved all of his snacks out of that cabinet into a different cabinet and made that the spice cabinet. And he came to me distraught, 
almost with tears in his eyes, voice shaking, and he said, where are my snacks? <laughs> what do you mean, where are your snacks? They're in the cupboard where they're supposed to be. That long cupboard is the snack cupboard now. And he, no, no, this is the snack cabinet. Little did I know, again, angelic-like, innocently thinking I'm just cleaning the house. Little did I know I was stepping into an arena of the blame game. <laughs> We go back and forth, and, and in that moment, we realized one thing. Never touch a man's fruit snacks. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't it. <laughs> what we actually learned was, even if we win the blame game, we still lose the fight. Even if Gideon won the blame game, he still lost the fight. Even if you win the blame game, you will still lose the fight. Because this decision to go back and forth, it creates a moment of gratification. Yeah, like I won, right? Like I, I'm the winner, I'm the right one, right? I, I'm the one who won this fight, you lost. A moment of gratification. But it leaves you with these unresolved problems and with tension that will morph itself into different areas of your life. So Gideon, he can go back and forth with whose fault it is, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day there's still an unresolved problem. There are still Midianites trying to take over the Israelites. The issue wasn't going anywhere. And so God, in this moment, he wasn't trying to raise the tension or raise the problems. What, what he's saying to Gideon was, hey, I want to be the answer that you're looking for. And God in this moment isn't trying to raise tension or raise problems in your life when you feel like you're going back and forth. But he's saying, I want to be the answer that you're looking for. We can get so caught in the distraction of the moment that we miss that God wasn't actually the problem at all. But he was the solution. See, a lie that kept my heart so rigid for a really long time was that God allowed those things to happen to me. God allowed those moments where it felt like people or things were ripped from me. God allowed those moments where I felt like my heart was completely shattered and I was left alone. God was the one who, who wouldn't let me catch a break. But when I took a step back, big picture moment, I found that it, it was never God to begin with. And like Gideon's story, God didn't bring the Midianites to take over, but he is the one who's going to bring the enemy out of the camp. So Gideon continues with this tension. But despite those words that he says, despite dismissing the call of God, despite letting it be known that it was not him that God was trying to call, this story doesn't make sense, God. He was still calling him a mighty hero. He was still reminding him that God was on his side. So going back to that first question, has it ever felt like the story of God for your life feels almost inconvenient for you? I know personally being in those moments, I want to just be mad, right? Like I want to just be mad. If, if I was in Gideon's shoes, I would just be frustrated. It's probably hot out there. I'm hiding. I'm hungry. All I have is this grain. I just want to be mad because it makes the most logical sense, right? It almost feels like we're chasing shadows, trying to believe in hope when our environment feels so dark. But then, and, and even now, God is still allowing the truth of his story to pierce through the darkest parts of Gideon. And he still does the same for you and for I. 
For you today, maybe, maybe you walked away from faith. Maybe you've struggled about believing in the story of Jesus because you felt the tension that Gideon's felt. I don't believe that it's on accident that you're here this morning with us. See, friends, the story of Jesus reminds us that God is, is not our problem, but he's the answer to our problems. He's not our enemy, but he's the answer to defeat our enemies. So now Gideon begins to see this. So we're going to go down to verse 14. It says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with strength. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. So God lays it on him. Here it is, Gideon. This is what I want you to do. This is what I've called you to do. Here's the purpose. This is your story. Now let's hear Gideon's response. Verse 15, he says, But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least of my entire family. God, you have so many to pick from. You have so many people. Why are you doing this? Do you know who you're talking to? Let's get real. There's some push and pull when it comes to God and us. See, I can relate to Gideon so well in this moment. I never thought I had the capacity to open my heart, to be loved and to love, especially to be in a vulnerable spot like marriage. I never thought that was I was capable of doing that. I never thought, I never seen myself as, as gifted or talented enough to have the honor and opportunity to teach others about the story of Jesus. How could that be possible, God? I talk too fast. I mouth my words before I say them, God. I, I, I'm a grown adult trembling at the idea of eyes on me. How are you calling me? I can relate to Gideon in that. Truth is, we can actually all relate to Gideon. God, I don't have this, or, or God, I, I don't have that, or God, I'm too unqualified to do that, or, or God, I'm too bad, or I have too much baggage, or, or I struggle with this thing, God, or my past is too heavy for you to use me, Jesus. Like, there, there's someone else who can do that. I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I'm just a student. I'm just, a, I'm just an uncle. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a, and I'm sure you could probably think about a, a, a thing to fill in that blank. We have a laundry list of reasons. But truth is, is that you still have purpose. Truth is, is you still have gifts and talents that were uniquely designed for you. And what I've learned is that God, God has a remedy for every reason that we could throw at him. Well, God, I'm afraid. Well, that's okay, because I'm with you. I'm for you. You don't need to be strong because your strength actually comes from me. This isn't you on your own because I live within you. You don't need to make yourself qualified because my cross carried the weight and the shame of your past. And it no longer is a barrier to keep you from telling an incredible story. So Gideon put up a really good argument. And so do we, right? But imagine... Imagine if our stories ended when we thought we couldn't do it anymore. Let's continue on with this story. In verse 16, it says, The Lord said to him, Hey Gideon, I'm going to be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. You know, I remind you, this is a million-man army, and this is God's promise to Gideon. Gideon, you have what it takes. 
And this is God's promise to you. Hey, you have what it takes. Not because you completed a checklist of being a good person and so now you're ready to do some great things, but because the cross says there's nothing holding you back anymore. There's nothing holding you back. There was a man uh, named Kurt. Maybe as I tell this story, you will recognize the name and the person. But Kurt, he loved to play sports. And at the same time, he really didn't get any good breaks. Right out of college, he got married, and he married a woman who had two kids of her own, and he, he adopted those kids as his own, and they began to have children together. Um, and every night, he would go and he would work at a market, stocking shelves, and he was working for $5.50 an hour. But one thing about Kurt is he held on to this dream of wanting to play sports full time. And so he ended up walking out into an arena football field with uh, in his team, with his hometown team, right? Nobody showed up to those games. <laughs> Nobody cared. Nobody wanted to be there. But, but Kurt held on to this dream. He held on to this dream of wanting to do sports full time. It didn't make sense. It was difficult. There were empty stands. There was, it was just the dream that he held. But one day, someone actually did walk into that arena, and that person noticed him from the St. Louis Rams. And so they picked up Kurt, Kurt Warner, and decided to put him as a third-string quarterback on the Rams. Well, during the second season of the NFL, the first-string quarterback, he got hurt. And so they were looking for someone with a very, very unique set of skills to take this spot. So the second guy didn't work out, didn't have the, the skills that they needed, so they threw Kurt in. Well, what happened is that season, Kurt ended up taking the team to win every single game from then on, to the point where they actually won the Super Bowl that year. See, we know Kurt Warner as a man who moved past the blame game and started to believe what was inside of him. I love the story of Jesus because it sounds something like this that God specializes in unlikely heroes and that failure isn't final, but that God has a remedy for the problems that you face. Imagine if you just settled at, I'm no good at this. This isn't my story. Do you know where I come from? Do you know what I've been through? Do you know what I've done? Do you know the environment that I live in? What would this world miss out on if you stopped right there? In the Bible, we read these stories and we think, how could that relate to my life, right? Like we hear these incredible stories throughout the Bible of people who've done some really incredible things. And we think, oh, God picked that person because they had these qualifications or they had these gifts or they were talented in this way. Can I tell you the truth, a spoiler alert moment? I'm gonna walk you through a few stories of the Bible so that we can kind of pop the bubble here, okay? Noah, who built the ark, had a drinking problem. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Joseph was abused. Jacob was a liar. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Jeremiah and Timothy were too, too young. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. Spoiler alert. Lazarus was dead. 
Friends, when you focus on you and only you, when you zone in on just your picture, you will miss God and you will miss those around you. You will miss the story that breaks through every single barrier that's been up against you. Yeah, we won't get anywhere. Yeah, we'll stay in the cycle. See, our stories can be us chasing reflections or us saying yes to the better story that God has already worked out for us. Every day, I face the struggle of how is it me? God, you chose the weak person. But Jesus reminds us that he is the one. He's the one who makes us strong. And so Gideon was facing a, a pretty huge, huge army. The Midianites, were as, they described them as as big as the sands on the seashore. That's a lot of sand. It's <laughs> a lot of people. And here are the Israelites, a really small, small group. And Gideon came from the smallest clan of the smallest group. And he's saying, God, are, are you sure I'm the right guy? I'm just, I'm just not sure I have what it takes. He's afraid. See, there's this gap that we find in our lives that we see here with Gideon and that I see on a daily basis is the gap between where we are and where we were created to lead. And so as we keep reading, we see that Gideon does what God asked him to do. And now he's asking him, hey, here's what I need you to do. Before we go into battle, I need you to destroy the idols in your father's home. So in Judges chapter 6, verse 28, it says, Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and, the, and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down in their place. A new altar had been built, and on it the remains of the bull had been sacrificed. After he destroyed these idols, these men come out to investigate who did this because they wanted to kill that person. They wanted someone to blame. And the only people that knew who did this was Gideon and his closest friends. If we read scriptures before, it talks about how Gideon was going to do this at nighttime so that no one would know that he did it. And he only told the closest people to him. Well, guess what? Those closest people were the ones to actually betray him. Gideon did it. It was Gideon. We know who it was. Gideon did this. And so the whole town is now ready to stone him. They grab Gideon and they throw him at his father's porch and they say, hey, your son's the one who did this and we have to kill him now. Friends, sometimes pain comes from the most unexpected places. For David, right after he killed Goliath, his hero, his mentor, his father-in-law, he was the first one to throw a spear at him. See, sometimes pain comes from the people who feel like are the closest to you. Because we know that even Jesus had a Judas, right? Someone who sold Jesus out. And it could be the pain that, that keeps our focus so much so that, that we might be distracted on the fact that there was a Judas who sold you out, but there were still 11 disciples who were fighting next to Jesus. Maybe the pain that you're feeling now, that's present now, comes from the closest people to you. The people who were supposed to be cheering for you, but ended up betraying you. Something that a mentor told me, something that was simple, but it, it changed my heart forever. She told me, just don't ever let blood turn into bad blood. Because bad blood ultimately leads to bitterness. Bitterness towards life, towards God towards your friends, towards your family, towards those who have hurt you. And she said, just as long as you stay bitter, you can't win the fight. So Gideon had to move on. 
Because again, there were still Midianites trying to intimidate the Israelites. David had to move on. They could have gotten stuck, right? Saul, who was David's father-in-law, he had an opportunity to kill. David had an opportunity to kill Saul, but he chose forgiveness. He chose an opportunity to forgive him rather than to take revenge on him. God is fighting my fight. God is fighting your fight. We can't run from this. But we have to choose to push through the pain. Because this wasn't Gideon's final battle. It wasn't his last hardship. He still has to defeat a million-man army. But through each one of the battles that Gideon faces, he makes it through. God's promises reigns true then and it reigns true now. You are going to make it. You are going to make it. Whatever battle, whatever pain, whatever story that you are in right now, can I tell you that the promise then is still alive now. I'm a living testimony of that. the fact that you will make it through. You will make it. What happens next in this story is, is so incredible. So Gideon, he gains this confidence, right? And so now he gathers thousands of Israelites to join his cause. And now we're at the, the thick of the story, okay? Get, put your seatbelts on because it's going to get crazy, okay? He gathers thousands around him to fight beside him. Now we're going to find ourselves in Judges chapter 7. Gideon and all the Israelites are with them right there. They're up early. They have their camp. They're ready to rock and roll. Like we are going at it. I'm sure Gideon had this picture of his mind where like God said, hey, you know what? You're going to defeat them. So maybe in Gideon's mind, he has all these thousands of men with him. And he's probably like a, I don't know, those like crazy war movies where he's just going out screaming and just slaying people left and right. Like he probably had this like Terminator moment. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, my favorite movie is High School Musical still. So I don't know those things, but <laughs> Listen, he's probably so excited. He has these people, they have their camp, they're ready to fight. So in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, Hey, you have too many warriors with you. <laughs> if I let you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they save themselves by their own strength. Sometimes subtraction happens before multiplication can. Friends, if you feel like you're down to nothing. Can I be super cheesy and cliche? That means that God is up to something. God is working behind the scenes, doing something when it feels like what is going to happen next. Sometimes it can feel like it's feel, life is filled with all these detours, right? Wouldn't it be a dream if we had to travel from California here to a different state and we could just go directly there? Right? Imagine if we traveled from here to Texas or here to another state and we didn't have to have all these um, different side tours that we have to do. We have to stop in this place and stop here and then you get delayed and then it gets canceled and then you, it's just crazy, right? Imagine, imagine if we can just go directly there. But reality is, is life feels like it's filled with detours where you're trying to get there, but it feels almost as if you're going backwards. Sometimes subtraction comes before multiplication. But the pain that we walk through, it has a purpose. So God, he begins to subtract Gideon. And he says, anyone who's afraid, I need you to leave now. And 22,000 Israelites walked away from Gideon. 
22,000 Israelites walked away from Gideon. Those are friends, those are family members, those are people he was counting on. Hey God, I was gonna use that person. Hey God, why would you do that to us? At this point, it almost feels like a setup, right? Like I, we still have to fight a million man army and you wanna help me lose 22,000 Israelites? How could you turn on me, God? Like imagine the thoughts that are running through Gideon's mind. God says, because when you win, I want the world to know that it was the Lord that did this, that God brings the victory. Because hold on, Gideon. Remember, you will still defeat the Midianites. But imagine how hard it was to hold on to trust in that moment. So God says to Gideon, all right, Gideon, it's going to be tough. You're probably not going to like what I'm going to say next. I know you just lost 22,000 men, but there's actually still too many. <laughs> there's still too many in your army. I got to get you down to a little bit less. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Million man army. And you still think I have too many people. Okay. <laughs> All right. So God says, hey, Gideon, take everyone down to the water. And I want you to begin to separate them. Those who drink a certain way, those who kneel down a certain way, I want you to begin to separate them. And so remember, Gideon's still afraid, okay? Shaking in his boots. Okay, and now, guess what? There were 300 people that drank the way that God was counting on. And so God said, I want those 300 people. And I'm gonna use those 300 to fight against the Midianites. 300 people against a million man army. Gideon was feeling that pain. He felt that betrayal again, right? Like, God, this doesn't feel like a victory, God. Like, this doesn't feel like I'm about to win a war. But God's saying, get ready. Get ready, Gideon. Friend, you have the greatest coach in your corner. Growing up in my household, um, we are a big Rocky fan. My dad had every movie of the Rocky series, right? Um, to the point where anytime he got a day off, an opportunity, we, were, we had to watch Rocky. I would have to write reports on Rocky movies. I'm not, it's not a joke, okay? Rocky was not a joke in our family. So I can probably quote every single movie for you um, from the start to the end because we loved Rocky. But what I love, what I loved and I would be on the edge of my seat even though I watched it a thousand times are those moments when, when Rocky was in the ring and he was getting it, like he was getting punched. You can tell he was ready to give up, breathing heavy. But all of a sudden the bell rings, ding, ding, ding. And he heads back to his corner. And when he gets in his corner, he meets his coach and his coach is massaging him up. Rocky, you got this. Don't worry, Rocky, you train for this. Gives him a new strategy, hypes him up, heals some wounds, gets him ready. And then ding, 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 Rocky goes back in the ring and he defeats the person that he was fighting against. Friends, sometimes in life, it feels like we're getting hit left and right. It feels like we're in the middle of a fight that we were not prepared to be in. And sometimes when the bell rings, it feels like we can't even get to our corner. But this is why I love the story of Jesus because God's saying, hey, hey, slap my hand because this is a tag team, baby. Whenever you need me, I got you. Jesus is there to lift you up in those times where you feel like you can't even reach the corner to find rest. He helps you prepare you for the fight that you didn't even know you were about to step into. You got a coach who's in your corner. Someone who doesn't give up on you, even when you walk away, he's there. Even when you hide, 
he's there. Even when you tap out, he says, tap me in. Tap me in. Friend, he's in the corner. He's in your corner for your marriage. He's in your corner for your kids. He's in your corner for your college tuition. He's in your corner for your job. He's in your corner for your family, for the fear that's been intimidating you, for the dream that he has put inside of you. He is in your corner and he's just saying, tap me in. Tap me in. So God tells Gideon, I know you feel down, Gideon, but look around. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you. Judges 7, chapter 7, verse 8 says, So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram's horns of the other warriors, and he sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. Gideon was so afraid. <laughs> I would be too. <laughs> he was terrified. And so God now tells him, Okay, I'm gonna push your buttons. I don't know, God just seems like he's pushing buttons with Gideon, right? So he says, I'm gonna push your buttons a little bit more. I need you to go down to the enemy's camp. And I need you to listen to what they're saying. So Gideon, again, he's scared. In verse 11, it says, listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took his friend Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy's camp. It's nighttime. It's dark, no one can see him, but if he got caught, it'd be over for Gideon, right? So he was already scared. Imagine how scared he is now, sneaking over to the enemy's camp. And I want you to kind of paint the scene in your picture. Here's Gideon and his friend crouched down, listening to what these people are saying. Verse 12, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. There was too many to count. Verse 13, Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp and it hit a tent it turned it over and knocked it flat. And his companion answered, hey man, your, your dream can only mean one thing, that God, get this, that God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all of its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, hey, get up, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianites. See, God allowed Gideon to hear it from his enemies that he was about to destroy this army. Gideon gets his strength back. If he was afraid then, he's not afraid anymore. He's listening to the sounds of the enemy. They were trembling. Are you, are you serious? You just had this dream that this is gonna happen? What are we going to do? God gave Gideon from the smallest of the smallest tribes, the weakest family member, the one who was hiding from us at one point, God gave him the victory? What? There's nothing. There is nothing that can stand against you when you say yes to the story of Jesus. No environment, no past, no present, no doubt, no fear. When Gideon heard that, he was encouraged. And so God told him, 
I'm going to push your buttons just one more time. Don't grab a sword. Don't grab a spear. Again, Gideon probably has this thought in his mind. We're just going to go out and just swing and slay people down, right? But God says, hey, don't bring those things out there. Okay, what do you want me to bring? I want you to grab a trumpet. A what? <laughs> a trumpet. Yeah, actually, I want you to grab a trumpet, grab some jars, and grab some torches. And tell all your 300 men that they're going to go up against this million-man army. And when it's time, I want you to blow your trumpets, smash your jars, and lift up your torches. Can you imagine being one of the 300 men hearing these instructions? <laughs> You're about to go up against a million-man army and you were handed a trumpet. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I feel like, Giddy, you're crazy. I'm out of here, man. You got $2.99 now because I'm out. Imagine. But God wanted them to know. God wanted them to know it's my victory. Friends, whatever you are facing, I promise you, you can do it so much better with Jesus. I promise you, you can do it so much better with Jesus. You got victory in your future. Spoiler alert, the story that Jesus has for you might feel inconvenient for your life, but this is a fixed battle. This is a fixed fight. No matter what you are walking through, Jesus made a way for victory to be possible. Let's wrap up this story. A little after midnight, Gideon has divided 300 men into three groups, 100 here, 100 here, and 100 here. And he gives each group an item, a trumpet, a jars, some jars, and some torches. And he's giving them instructions on when to make their move. When it was time, they told, Gideon instructed them, I want you to shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And so Gideon goes out with his army and he shouts. And you hear the breaking of glass the sounds of trumpets, and you hear, the, you see the torches up in the air. These 300 men watched a million-man army panic and shout as they ran to escape. The scripture says that the Lord caused those warriors to fight against each other with their own swords, and those who were not killed in that moment tried to flee away. That was it. The impossible battle was won. Along this journey, there were many moments where Gideon questioned what he signed up for, wondering if God was really with him, wondering if he was the one who would actually make this happen. And it did. Along your journey, those might be questions that you're asking as well. A lot of what ifs, a lot of whys, a lot of someone else, God, but there's still purpose for you. That's not going anywhere. There's still gifts and talents that are uniquely designed to you. See, God is, a God, God is God and he can handle anything on his own, right? The beautiful part of the story of Jesus is that he wants you to be a part of what's happening. He could have done without Gideon, but he wanted Gideon. He wanted Gideon afraid and all. And God wants you afraid and all. Doubtful and all, worried and all, he wants you to see that the story that can be told in your life could be incredible. It starts with a yes. There's so many things that can get in our way to distract us. But remember, the call never goes away. There was still 
a group of people that were trying to intimidate the Israelites. So no matter how many things Gideon tried to come up with to say why he couldn't do it, there was still something needed to be done and he was the one to do it. In your world, we need you. We need your yes. In the world around you, we need you. We need your yes. We need your yes to Jesus. Philippians 1.6, it says, And I am certain that God who began the good work with you, within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Today, let God change your narrative and remind you that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He who began a good work within you, you are a good work. You are a story that needs to be heard. You have gifts and talents that we and your community need, your family needs. You have a purpose to be walked out that only you can walk out. Imagine what would happen if you said yes to whatever it is that you want me to do, God. Because if you ask, cover her eyes, invisible Jess, if she would say yes to the story of God, the answer would be no. But there was a moment when I said, you know what? Okay, whatever you want for me. And because of that, because of that yes, it's broken generational things that were gonna hold me back, hold my brother back, hold my future family back, hold my husband back. Those are the yes, you have no idea what your yes could do. And so today, as we pray and we close out, I, I want to encourage you, change, let God change that narrative. Let your story be that God, who began a good work already within you, he's going to see it to completion. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for a story like Gideon's, a man who was afraid but still said yes, even if it was hesitantly God. So Lord, today, as we, as we are here and, and as our hearts are, are ready, God, I, I ask, Lord, that you would change the narrative in our lives. That you would change the narrative, God, so that we can see that you are writing a really incredible story, God. And today we take brave steps to say yes to you, whatever that may look like, God, because we know that we have a coach in our corner who's ready to help us in fights that we don't even know we're about to step into. So God, thank you. Thank you for what the cross has done. And thank you that we can choose a story, God, that, a story, God, that can change our lives and the lives around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.